Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Everybody, Macy Khan here, and you are tuning into FinTech Fridays, brought to you by the NCFA, Canada's leading national FinTech and crowdfunding association. Today, I have Charlene from CoinSquare. Uh, Charlene, <laughs> thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Sure, no problem. <laughs> so, I guess just for the audience or the five or six people that may not know who you are, essentially what your company is, could you just give us a little bit of a rundown? Sure. We like to refer to CoinSquare as Canada's leading cryptocurrency trading platform, where we uh, have an offering of about seven or eight coins, I believe it is now, adding more every day. We like to also think that we're Canada's safest platform with uh, access to fiat on-ramps and off-ramps, and we haven't lost a coin yet from our platform. Since you are the chief anti-money laundering officer and chief compliance officer, I'd just like to get a little bit more in the nitty gritty of just regulation, right? Just regulatory uncertainty. Could you just talk a little bit more of the uncertainty that's currently going on and pretty much why it is there Mm -hmm. and what can companies like you or be it the government or even just people like me do Mm -hmm. to help clean up the uncertainty and just help better define when it comes to regulations in the space? Sure, not a problem. Um, I think it's a big task, that's for sure. I mean, I come from a long background of working with banking and and typical financial institution anti-money laundering regulations. And I think even in those environments, there was still quite a bit of uncertainty as, as we go through every iteration of the changes in law. And it took a lot of years for Canada to even get on board with anti-money laundering regulation. They just released the Proceeds of Crime Act uh, approximately less than 20 years ago. Oh, I hate saying that because I worked for the regulator about that time when the new laws came into effect. Quite a growth period for Canadian financial institutions to really get into being able to comply or even start to begin to try to comply with anti-money laundering requirements. And I would argue that there's still a lot of struggle going on in traditional fields. So I think that's just exacerbated by the fact that that cryptocurrency is so new and that the concepts and the, the methods in which traditional finance are offered to people are, I would say, a little bit historic, a little bit stuck in the past. Uh, the laws were written basically from a, you have a relationship with your banker and maybe you see his kids play baseball on Sunday and, and he knows who you are and you go into a branch to execute your transactions and that sort of physical relationship, face-to-face relationship building. And it was only later on in the, in the regulations, for, again, for traditional entities, that the idea that finance could take place in a non-face-to-face environment was added to the law because it wasn't something that was contemplated early on by the by the act and the regulations. So when you add into the mix something like this where it's a little bit threatening, a little bit uncertain, has a little bit of a negative history, growth history and trajectory behind it, and it makes a lot of people nervous and uncomfortable because maybe they can't understand it or they don't want to understand it, and then you try to apply some traditional concepts to it, in a way that, again, traditional companies struggle with applying still to this day, and then you try to put it into this, it is truly a square peg in a round hole. You know, we've all been kind of waiting for a while now for some clarity, but I always warn people that, like, don't expect too much clarity. It's not really the job of the law or regulations to be entirely 
prescriptive about what needs to be done. Now, if we want to be clear about what the Proceeds of Crime Act and various anti-money laundering laws are trying to do, I think it really boils down to about three things. Know who you're dealing with, whether it's humans, I call it, you know, people or businesses. Like prove that they actually exist and that they're doing what they say they're doing. They are who they say they are. That you're monitoring activities to keep your platform, your trade, you know, your financial institution or whatever you are, safe from exploit of criminal actors. You keep certain records and, and periodically you have to report specific things to the government. And again, I'll just say that it's a lot of work and a lot of effort. Some people make the joke that banks nowadays are uh, compliance departments with banks attached to them. And I, you know, we don't want that happening in the crypto space, but we got to find the, the right balance that strikes between, you know, keeping customers safe, keeping their money safe, knowing who you're dealing with in a digital environment, in a global environment that hasn't really been tackled so well, I think, again, in the traditional space. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's just like, it, it really is know your customer, right? Like it's a, it's a very KYC driven. It is. And, and I mean, I, I struggle to think like, I'm not that old and I do, I don't recall there was ever a time that you could just walk into a bank and not tell them anything about you and they would give you access to financial services. So if cryptocurrencies, again, whether it's trading on a platform like CoinSquare, certain digital assets or even if it's a token offering or a sale, an STO, like that you would get into a financial relationship with someone without some basic safeguards in place. So, you know, it's funny to me. And if you talk, you know, you talk to older people and there was a time when a handshake, you know, and a hello was good enough to secure yourself, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of loans. But I think, you know, the world has certainly evolved since then. The risks have gotten greater you know, and, and the banks have seen and the bigger financial institutions have seen some negative impacts of not doing some of these things properly. So there was a lot of lessons learned in that environment about it, which drove some of these decisions, you know, to try to make, try to put some safety and security in the financial world. That totally makes sense, right? Being it just such a up and coming and emerging market. And now that it's so hot and hype right now, um, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that like having some kind of clarity and just like protecting investors, um, it makes sense that like the banks will be a little bit more hesitant. People start being a little bit more hesitant. And like where you've definitely mentioned in the past and like I've mentioned in some mm-hmm. of the past episodes, that education is very much the key, right? And understanding mm-hmm. what a cryptocurrency is, how, how does blockchain work and how do, how do all these things fundamentally work and how can you be a part of it and can you help in what may have you, right? Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to advocate. I don't want to ever be seen to be advocating that cryptocurrency should behave exactly like a traditional financial institution. I think, you know, part of the beauty of this space is that it is a greater risk taking kind of space. But I think with risk comes reward and responsibility. You know, there is a history of crypto where people, you know, even our founders met in a coffee shop to trade digital currency. You know, coming from the background I come from, it's a little bit shocking to me. But even for me, it's been quite a a good education working in a space like this these last eight or nine months and just seeing that there is an alternative. There are differences and there's room in the world for this alternative finance sector to really take off. But it can't be stifled by, you know, continually trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. I think there's safety and security measures that can be put in place, uh, some basic things that, that nobody should really be arguing with. And then the rest of it falls into business decision making and where banks and financial institutions have different requirements that cryptocurrency can take a few more risks. And, and that's 
up to them to make that decision. I, I guess it's a balance between like regulation and innovation, right? Like that, that mm-hmm. beam, it's very, it's very hard to teeter. Cause it's like, we don't want to over-regulate, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, you know, better than anybody. Oh, I do. I do. I, I wish I didn't some days, but yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, you know, and then the whole thing is to regulations are regional and oh, finance what? is global. So it, the things do not mesh well together. I mean, even in Canada, we have, you know, all the provincial securities regulators separately battling it out as to what to do about this. We do have a federal anti-money laundering regulator, but money, money and especially cryptocurrency moves quite freely across borders. Maybe not so free anymore with, with traditional finance. And I think that's what probably helped some of the breeding ground for something like cryptocurrency to pop up is the speed and the, and the efficiency in which money could move across borders. Not all of it is terrorist financing or money laundering. And to paint it all with that brush under the guise of we have to stop it, make it safer because it's all being used for negative, I think is a terribly unfair assessment of the industry. No, I absolutely agree with you. But again, it's players like you and like just the amazing stuff that you guys are doing uh, to kind of show that like, hey, again, it's not not everything that we do is not funding terrorists or just Mm -hmm. like anarchy like this is actually no like we're helping actually build businesses build ecosystems Mm -hmm. that are put in place to make the world better yeah and i mean i don't think anybody who deals in cryptocurrency really wants to be involved in this kind of thing but i think unwittingly just like financial institutions are you can be you know a victim of this and it's i don't think it's anything anybody's purposefully trying to attack i mean don't get me wrong i'm sure there's uh, you know, some bad actors out there that are happy about it. But, you know, I think that's what one thing where CoinSquare tries to set itself apart really is to try to play by a set of rules that takes the better practices from existing safety and security measures, but works them in a way that allows for a risky business model to flourish. So I guess, could you talk a little bit more of the regulatory arbitrage then? Well, I think it's just, it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, you hear a lot about places like Malta and Crypto Island and Zug Switzerland or, and, and places that are embracing crypto. And it's all, it's really great to hear. Like it's really, everyone's really happy about it in the crypto space. And so am I too, but it's just, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's, you go there and it's free of obligation or it's free of requirements. But what it does mean is that some jurisdictions have taken it upon themselves to put signs out for business saying, hey, we're into this. We want to work with you and support you. And if you have another jurisdiction that's saying, you know what? I don't like this. We don't trust it. We're just going to put a ban on it or we're not going to allow it to happen or we're going to make it really hard on you. Uh, People are going to want to get up and move to those jurisdictions that make themselves friendly. Uh, But simply relocating, you know, a business address to a different jurisdiction doesn't mean that you're free of regulation because it's not only physically where you're located, like where your operations are. It's also based on where your customers are that you're serving. So even if you do set up in a place that's friendly to crypto, you know, you've got to really think long and hard about where you're targeting customers and what reg, what legal obligations come along with the jurisdictions in which they live. And, you know, I do love to hear about places that are open to this, but I think people maybe sometimes mistake it for a, a, a holy grail or a promised land where it's all free and easy. And it's not because those places also still have concerns about things like safety and security. They also have, you know, concerns about things like bringing jobs and bringing money into their economy. And they, you know, they can't do that while putting themselves at risk 
to become a haven for money laundering and terrorism by doing no due diligence or requiring no, no rules be followed. So I think it's a, just a little bit of a misnomer to say, oh, we're just going to go set up in Malta and that's going to you know, alleviate you from any regulatory obligation. But what I do like that it does is that it, the government is open to the discussion and the government has reached out and told people like, hey, we're new at this too and we're trying to figure out what works best for us and there's a process and we'll walk you through it and we'll hold your hand. Not all jurisdictions are like that, so it does end up being sort of an arbitrage of those who have an open environment are going to benefit. Sure, they're going to take on some of the risk, but they're also going to reap the rewards. And those that don't are going to be the ones that are left behind. And I think that's like this kind of thing happens traditionally as well, too. It's just now we're seeing it, I think, a little bit on speed almost um, (laughs) in the crypto space. Traditionally, Canada has been very conservative and they haven't been uh, first movers in many aspects. So it, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense why you're seeing a lot of these smaller like crypto islands pop up. You're not seeing, I guess, bigger countries actually fully adopt it yet. Yeah. And I think, you know, that all sort of remains to be seen. I think what a lot of people forget, too, is just how new this is. Like, even though there was a lot of early adopters and, the, and like before any of us, probably like, particular people in my position historically, that heard of Bitcoin. There were people already operating with it, enjoying it. Like it was an underground sort of cool thing that, you know, the man wasn't involved in. And, and, uh, but to get that sort of wider adoption and to get that, the, all the use cases that are, that sound so promising and into reality and into practice, um, you know, there does come some trade-offs with that and, um, and some risks, right? So, uh, I think that we got to remember that it's still in its infancy for that. And there's growing pains along the way. I mean, believe me, nobody more than me knows about growing pains when it comes to this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hard to identify someone in a non-face-to-face environment in a regular bank, let alone in a crypto trading company, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it's like it's tens of thousands of interactions within seconds. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's a lot harder to like shake everybody's hand and meet them and make sure your kid plays baseball together, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think, but the good news about that is that also the traditional markets are having to play catch up with this digital world in a way that they didn't previously. And, and, you know, when you look at the surveys and things that come out of governments, you know, we'll use millennials, but, you know, millennials and those after millennials, nobody wants to go into a bank. Nobody even wants to answer a phone call anymore, let alone do a bank and make an appointment to do something. The world is like, the slow will be left behind. And then you'll be like my mother when she got her first bank card and like needed to be walked to the machine. And like, what does this do? And how does this work? Like, there's a little bit of, a, of an accelerated speed to technology and involvement with technology that wasn't seen in the previous 20 years. So laws have never been able to keep up. I don't expect them to start suddenly now keeping pace with the change of, of technology when it is moving so fast. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the whole uh, physically walking into a bank that you, you said that and I got a little bit of anxiety. I was like, okay, wait. I know, I've got to renew my mortgage this month and I'm like, can someone just call me and have all the paperwork emailed over? Like, there's no need for me to book an afternoon off work to go talk to someone who's going to try to upsell me on a million other products that I don't need. Just like redo what I already had done at, at sadly the, the higher rate that's coming. But, uh, you know, I think 
it's a little bit of a struggle for those for those markets. And I think that's part of where the fear and the demonization of cryptocurrency comes from too, is like, don't look over here, look over there. That's where all the scariness is. And I've done a lot of research since I've joined CoinSquare when we're looking at our risk assessments and things like that. And, um, you know, the grand fear that all the bad stuff is happening here isn't, hasn't really played out for me in the, in the available research. Um, so it took a while for me to come around to that myself. And, uh, but now that I'm here, I'm like, you know, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. No, but you, you're absolutely right. That's where open banking gets really exciting because it's, it's the access of just like, again, you'll be able to like, you can just like on your lunch break or on your coffee break, you can just quickly just, oh, there you go. I just renewed my mortgage, same term, same everything. Maybe I even get a better, mm-hmm. better rate because I switched to mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't want to discount the people that are involved. I mean, there's always going to need to be humans. Nothing's going to be able to be entirely digitized when it comes to that. And there's always going to be something you're going to need to go into a bank for. But I think that's where some of the promise of blockchain comes in as well. Like outside of just pure cryptocurrency, smart contracts and things like that, trying to get rid of some of this, the onerous steps and the paperwork. I could see how that could, I could see how that could be seen as a threat to some industries. The more frictionless and more less human mm-hmm. interaction that millennials like mm-hmm. me and just people <laughs> than me. And well, less human error, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly, right? Like, it just like, hey, like, I don't need the small talk. I just want to, like, deposit this money or like, I got other stuff to do, right? I got, I got a podcast. And, yeah. I mean, like, I'm doing a thousand <laughs> yeah. other things, right? I've got to get on Instagram and get my followers, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been doing pretty good at Instagram, so I'm not really worried about getting <laughs> good stuff yeah so could could you talk a little bit more of i guess there's there's a clear lack of guidance when it comes to just the interpretations of when it comes to the rules and regulations right again you know you know this better than anybody (laughs) coin square being one of the leading companies uh what does guidance in coin square look like what is some of the be it the holes that you're seeing when it comes to interpretation and could you just talk a little bit more about that um, I mean, the basics are pretty simple and straightforward. And, and maybe that's only because I've been in this field so long is that things like KYC are pretty straightforward to me. Like we have to be able to prove that you are who you say you are, whether you're a human or a business. Those, those I don't think are, have much interpretation involved in them. I think where the challenge comes in is the, what is considered acceptable in a non-face-to-face environment. We know there are challenges, in, especially in Canada, but not only in Canada, around the world, like, we, not, we won't talk about humans for a minute. We'll talk about businesses. Um, there's a big Transparency International report that came out a couple of years ago in Canada. And one of the holes in the Canadian regulatory environment to do specifically with the Proceeds of Crime Act or KYC or AML. But what it has to do with specifically is how come that up a company. It basically takes you about less than 30 minutes. You pay a small fee and boom, you've got an incorporated company, numbered company, no name, no numbers or people behind it, essentially just a shell on paper that may or may not do anything. This is yeah. something, you know, is again, on the anti-money laundering laws are asking you to prove that something exists, but the very thing that you are allowed by law to reference to make that assertion is itself not reliable, not monitored, then it makes it very difficult to make a case for, well, I did what I could to find out what I could, short of driving over and seeing the physical location with my own eyes. So whether you're in traditional finance or you're in cryptocurrency and you're trying hard to follow some basic KYC 
laws. You're, you're a little bit at a loss as to what I can refer to under the definition of what a money service business is, you know, which to me is traditionally that guy on Young Street that will change dollar bills for you or the you know, ethnic-based money transfer business that has a good remittance corridor back to you know, a lot of big immigrant populations in Canada that do send money back home. They've sort of thrown cryptocurrency, dealing in cryptocurrency under that. And I'm not certain that's the most helpful definition of what cryptocurrency is, but it is a little bit, there's a precedent set for it. And, and even within Canada, I'm really sure what the interplay is between, say, the financial you know, the, the FinTrack as a regulator calling us money services businesses from dealing in crypto, they're still not really being determined by the government. And we're kind of, I would argue again, that's really no different than any other entity that's listed in Section 5 of the Proceeds of Crime Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, even this morning I was looking at the definition of what is a casino under the proceeds of, like who qualifies as a casino uh, under the Proceeds of Crime Act and have sort of a three-bulleted definition and then you kind of think, well, what about this kind of business? Does that fit into the definition of casino? And I, it's the same thing that's going to happen with cryptocurrency. In dealing in cryptocurrency, what does that mean? I know we sent back a very lengthy 10-page commentary to the draft regulations asking for some clarity, but understanding again that you know they, they'll never be fully prescriptive. And I think that's where the industry has to take I think, you know, having talks like this and the industry taking a leading role in holding the government accountable for interpretation, actually providing guidance that addresses these very confusing sometimes interpretations. If I argue with you that you are regulated, but you argue with me that we're not because it's not clear, then that leaves us in a bit of a precarious position. I mean, like crypto casinos, that's, that'd be... That'd be pretty interesting (laughs) seeing that in a couple of years. I mean, like, but, but no, you're right. Like it's, it it goes down Mm -hmm. to the whole vagueness and what we talked like how we even started with Mm -hmm. this whole conversation, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to the space. And Mm -hmm. it's like, but like, okay, well, do we want government regulation to come in? Okay. If it come, if we get government regulation to come, Mm -hmm. then, then we get, okay, then we got the old system but we don't really want the old yep. system coming. It's, it's, it gets very just mis- But you know you have to do something, right? Like that's exactly. the thing is you don't want the old. You don't want to just like, I, if I wanted to work at a bank, I'd still be working at a bank, right? But no, we still do need a bank. CoinSquare does have the added bonus of being, you know, one of Canada's strongest, I think, fiat on-ramp and off-ramp crypto trading platforms and, and maintaining a bank relationship is as important for your business as selling crypto because- until I guess at least until crypto has an entire use case outside of fiat, which we all pray for that day. But um, this kind of back and forth and, and uncertainty, the government I think has tried to capture it all by just putting, it's funny if you read it all at once, it's over a thousand pages. So I, I recommend if you can't sleep at night, have a look at the draft regulations and the, and the edits they've made to it because they've just, they've captured a, dealing in crypto underneath the definition of a money service business. But back to my casino example, they've also added that if you're any other kind of entity, so if you're a bank, if you're a credit union, if you're a casino, if you're a securities dealer, the list goes on, accountants, lawyers, like there's a whole list in section five that tells you who has to comply. And it's like they just added the words or dealing in cryptocurrency next to any kind of transactionally based uh, requirement under the law so that it's really is trying to capture it anywhere it can 
So if you are an accountant that decides to take cryptocurrency as payment for your services, you now are subject to coming next year and the year to implement the Proceeds of Crime Act requirements for cryptocurrency. It's very interesting to watch how, like, and to see how this is going to play out. Like, just remember, the banks have had 20 years at this, and they still struggle with it. The biggest banks with the largest compliance departments, with the biggest budgets, and the most people have a hard time with this. Yeah, good luck to the 30 crypto guys <laughs> trying, to, trying, to, trying to figure out what to do with all the like new regulations, <laughs> the new laws, and like making sure they have lawyers yeah. and accountants that are... Yeah. And ignoring it isn't going to help you. And, and, and if for no other reason, that you, then you won't be able to get a bank account for your business. I hate to use that as the, you know, as sort of the threat. I don't really mean to use it as a threat, but like, you know, sometimes you need to pay money for things. You need to pay rent in fiat. You need to maybe pay some hydro bills in fiat. But in Toronto, we have this like, we have a city councillor, Norm Kelly. I don't even know if he still is city councillor. I'll have to look that up and yeah, edit that back is. into this podcast. <laughs> is he great? Well, and, you know, he's the one who's kind of been advocating in Toronto to be able to pay your parking tickets and your property taxes in cryptocurrency. Small situations like that and advocates like that, I think, bring it more into the mainstream and show you that we could get there someday. You even mentioned that some, some like foreign exchange uh, places here and that are accepting crypto and they're just trying mm. to like slam it together, see what works, see what doesn't work. Um, yeah. you're, even, yeah, right, you're even seeing like cute little convenience stores that accept Bitcoin and either have Bitcoin ATMs or just accept cryptocurrencies, which is like, small steps. But, yeah, like, it's amazing to see, awesome. right? Though, yeah. like you go into a place and like, I was in Hong Kong last year or God, two, maybe two years ago. No, last, yeah, God, two years ago. And, you know, you can't pay cash for anything there. And even up and down King Street, which is a little bit like our little fintech alley over here in Toronto, uh, there's a lot of stores here, like just food shops that also don't take cash. Now, I don't know they're quite at the point of taking cryptocurrency yet, but you'll see things like, you know, WeChat Pay is accepted. And I can't remember what the other Alipay and like those are starting to get like, you know, it's not quite crypto, but it's a payment adoption form that. You know, you never would have seen even a year or two ago here in Toronto. It's all kind of paves the way, I think, for just a new mindset. No, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Right? It's like, think about like the amount of people that are adopting Apple Pay and Samsung Pay, right? Like sooner yeah. or later, it's it just, again, like you said, like we're on definitely the right track of just just doing yeah. payments through crypto and buying a cake. I mean, sometimes, I, yeah, sometimes I leave the house without my purse within, without my wallet, but I never leave it without my phone. Like, I don't think I go to the bathroom without my phone. And I think most people are like that nowadays. So if you can have it all sort of at your fingertips that way, it makes it easier. Me and my buddies definitely joked about of like, yeah, if we ever get robbed, they're like, hey, dude, take my wallet, take my cards. Yeah, whatever. you can take, have it. You can have it. Don't take my phone, though. I, I mean, I got a meeting next week. Like, I, I, like you know, like, <laughs> like all that. Back, like, did I back up? When was the last time I backed up? I haven't you know, backed up in months. And like, did I put on 2FA? And does my 2FA just go to my phone? And then he has my phone. It won't help me. Like we joke about it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the reality. Nothing. No, it really is a yeah. stark reality, right? The phone is just going to become the one-stop shop when it comes to anything and everything. And it slowly is. So. For sure. And I, and I think that's like a great fit for cryptocurrency, right? I mean, it's so high tech. Like it's, it's so hard for me to even explain to my parents what I do for a living at coin square and like this the concepts are similar though and i think that's sometimes where i'm able to sort of win back people into understanding 
what CoinSquare's trying to do is that whether we're selling Dogecoin or nickels, you know, there's safety and security and safeguards that we want in place. And we want our customers to feel like they can come to us and not have to worry about losing their money or, you know, be able to freely access what they want to with a little bit less maybe intervention than a traditional financial institution. I think one of the bigger problems that a lot of people have, and not just based in crypto, is that financial institutions have become almost like a de facto police force, enforcing rules not only of regulators onto businesses, but of, of criminal code violations onto customers. And I always joke, and I'm sure if anyone's heard me talk before, you may have heard me say this, so I apologize for repeating my shtick, but like, I don't have a gun or a badge. I don't have access to police record databases. I don't know any more than you know if somebody is committing a crime. And I don't really think that it's fair on bankers or on cryptocurrency companies to say that we're expected to know every second that something is possibly breaking the law. If I had that power, I think I would go like be a superhero or something, you know, wear a cape, help people in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That, I mean, heck, I would too. I mean, that, that sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's way funner than sitting in a meeting saying, I don't think we can take this because the risk is too high. And you try exactly. to quantify or, the risk. And you or we like, could just go cape shopping. Like, come on. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go cape shopping. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super down <laughs> yeah. to go cape shopping. And I think that's where it goes to like, you know, get a, get a decent sense of who you're dealing with. And like most people's activity is fairly normal. Like, let's be honest here. Like, I think there's a lot of people in the AML space and I think they do a disservice to compliance people overall when they try to put themselves out there like super cops or something. Like, I think like, and I'm a pessimist by nature, but I do tend to believe the best in people. And the whole idea of risk management is that you let people go about their daily business fairly unscathed and fairly untouched. And you spend your time and resources on the things that are truly significant and, and truly questionable. And the cream that rises to the top, maybe the rotten cream that rises to the top, but like, you know, you're not questioning someone on every little dollar that they're doing because not everything is, is, a, is a criminal hiding in the shadows. And if you operate from that, like I think a lot of regulators and a lot of banks operate from that mindset that everything, like everything is bad. And like, I can see how you can get into that, like being in the field as long as I have. I can't say I haven't been victim to behaving that way periodically in my lifetime. But um, I think being in this space, and it, it does allow me the time to step back a little bit and be like, okay, what are we really looking at here? And, and where we can have a touch point with a customer that we're being respectful and doing the right thing. And like, we do spend our time, like, don't get me wrong, there's things to be found. But if everything is high risk, then nothing is high risk. Exactly right. If everything's high risk, nothing's high risk. And it's, again, like it's understanding, like everything we talked about today, right? It's KYC, it's just knowing your customer. Everything's not funding terrorist <laughs> like do you know what i'm saying yeah. like not everybody's a yeah. bad guy not everybody's a criminal i'm just trying to pay my phone bill you know what i'm like it's i know and you know what the thing is we don't even actually know about terrorist financing until after it happens and then it's in the news and then maybe you can look back and be like oh okay but like nobody walks into a financial institution of any kind and announces themselves as a terrorist nobody on a sanction list opens an account in their own name anymore they're even smart enough not to open shell companies to which they can be traced back in the beneficial ownership anymore. Like, you know, the, the cloak has been revealed. The, t the criminals who have the time and energy know 
what it is that governments want them to look for now. And they're finding new ways we haven't even figured out yet. And the pressure on someone in my position to try to be, you know, that super cop that can sense something before it occurs, I, I do find very unfair. And I don't like to play into that kind of mindset. But I do like the idea of having a truly risk-based compliance program that allows you some time and energy to focus on, you know, again, the real risks, not the made up ones, not the, you know, ghosts that people think are in the machine, you know, but I think the challenge being is that banks have just had a lot more years of data to kind of look back on and go, oh yeah, we probably should have seen that. Um, Whereas crypto, we're just, we are still building it. And there's a lot of good players in the industry working on software to kind of help, you know, again, help not solve, but help, for lack of a better word, decrypt the blockchain and, uh, and see sort of the flow of funds and where things are going. You've definitely coined the term of the old wine in new bottles, right? So it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't take full credit for it. I know I learned this in, when I was doing my master's in criminology and never have I used it more than working in this field. Like at the time it rang a bit hollow. I was young and, and ignorant and probably arrogant too. Now that I'm a bit older and a, and a bit more humble, I'm like, I really, really see what this expression means. And, and uh, you know, there's going to be, by the time I, I get older and there's going to be something new. And, and while the government is trying to regulate what is currently the cryptocurrency space right now, it's taken them about four years to get to a draft. It's taking another year to get it out in publication. They're going to give another year for implementation, which is something they normally don't do. You know, we're still so new and, and, and I hope that my work with CoinSquare can allow me to contribute to this conversation, not hinder it. I hope that none of the work I'm doing is, is ever something that's seen as a hindrance to business. And I really don't want to ever be part of a grand money laundering case that was so obvious it should have smacked me in the face. And, uh, and I think that's what I bring from working in these former you know, the former traditional spaces is that something should jump out at you, whether it's crypto or fiat. <laughs> Other things, it's a lot of gray areas. So it's determining where you're comfortable. I think the work that you guys are doing, it's incredible. I mean, the work that you're doing personally of just like advocating, speaking out on this and just well, like shedding a little bit more light to this, right? Because like we need people like you in the industry that have trained eyes and know more or less what to look for in this new space and kind of like you can kind of call call bullshit on a lot of things or not right so it's yeah yeah. i've had a humbling learning here too like i i will never ever put myself up on a panel and call myself a cryptocurrency expert i wouldn't even call myself an aml expert i just happen to have a lot of years at it and i every day i'm still surprised and there's something new and and but i think just having that training and having that background if you apply it right and you apply it for good and I don't think I'm the kind of compliance officer. And I think some people here at CoinSquare would agree. I don't try to run away from a challenge. Although some people require that we run away from a challenge in order to uh, maintain our good name and standing. But, um, you know, let's dig into it. If we, have, if we let the people do their regular transactions relatively unscathed and relatively untouched, then it does give us a time to dig into some of the more challenging things and say, is this something that should be reported to the government? I know not everybody's a fan of regulation in this space and some of the purists might not, you know, agree with it, but I'll say the same party line that a lot of other people in this space in my position might say is that 
you know, there's got to be a bit of a trade-off if we want mass adoption, if we want these use cases to come true, if we want to have those positive relationships with banks, we want to raise money in a somewhat hybrid type security regulated almost area that we have to do some of these things. And, and some of them I think are good things to do. To wrap this up, <laughs> sure. what, what, would be, what would be some of the takeaways that you'd like to drive home? Because I know we definitely, we talked about, we talked a lot about today, so feel free to list Mm -hmm. all. Sure. Um, I think one of the things I'd love for the listeners to hear is that when you're talking about KYC and AML, they really are two different things entirely. And the onus remains on you to be sure that the KYC that you're doing and then your overall AML program and the obligations of that program are truly in as close compliance to the law, the existing law, the proposed law, wherever you fall in that spectrum, as is possible that works for your business. You have to be able to clearly articulate that you know if you've hired someone else to do this for you, there's lots of vendors that do these kind of things that sell them out as vendor, we can do this for you. You still have to know exactly what they're doing and what you're getting from them. It is something I see a lot working at CoinSquare and even just at conferences I speak at when I talk to a lot of startups. It's like they want to hire a, a third party to do something. And I'm like, that's great. There's a lot of great third parties out there. But make sure that they're doing the right thing for you and you're holding them accountable and you're getting your value for money. Because you can pay someone to do something for you and then find out when you get audited that they didn't actually do everything that they promised. I hate to see someone fall into that kind of trap. Secondly, I guess, is just defining yourself as to what you are even if you don't have a lawyer although i do always recommend getting a lawyer i know it's not always feasible for some startups to spend uh the rates that are required but there are some very affordable and reputable good guys working in crypto as lawyers doing advisory and some sandbox type of things with law firms but that you know articulate for yourself on paper yes the old-fashioned paper You don't have to print it, but put it down on some form of written format and define what you are and say like, we, since we do this, we think that we are this and have an articulated way to defend yourself around that definition. You don't want someone else coming in and telling you, no, you're this. And you didn't think about that. And I mean, people like, you know, other financial institutions you might want to deal with, even investors that might want to look into your business. Like, They might not want to get caught up in something that is uncertain or unclear. You can call yourself a utility token, but you better have a good rationale for determining yourself to be that. We're a trading platform here at CoinSquare. We have a very long and articulated backing to say how we are what we say we are. We are registered with several regulators here in Canada. We launched Europe today. It's a very exciting day here in uh, at CoinSquare as we launched our Europe offering in the, in the European Union. If you have any listeners in that space, we'd be happy to have you. I just want everybody to have a, the same opportunity to understand what we're doing here and, and how CoinSquare can maybe help them too. I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> so, Shirley, to... I love the support. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, Charlene, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. This was a amazing whirlwind of information. I, I'm like, I've learned a lot more of just regulatory arbitrage and just uncertainty. And now I have more or less more fear, but like also a lot of optimism when it comes to space that I didn't even know. Of. Awesome. I, you know what? I'll help you quell that fear. 
Oh, I can't I will, wait. Uh, do I, my best. I can't wait. So, Charlene, <laughs> awesome. thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I can't wait to have you on the show again. Okay, awesome. Thanks again. No problem. All right. So, okay. on the behalf of NCFA, Canada's leading fintech and crowdfunding association, I wish you an amazing fintech Friday and weekend. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.